Hi everyone, welcome to the Dispatched podcast. It's been two months since the election. The new government is facing its first parliamentary sitting next week, so I thought it would be a good moment to get some political insights. I'm delighted to be joined by Jody Fasina of Inside Strategy. Hello, Jody. Hi, Paul. Great to be with you again. So it's two months in. Government is facing its first parliamentary sitting next week. Tell me your thoughts on the first two months, but also let's have a have a, a chat about how how the the parliament has changed. So the, the the parliament that last met in March is is very different uh, to the yeah. one that's going to meet next week. Look, totally, Paul. I mean, certainly as we would have seen in the last two months, you know, the government hit the ground running. Particularly, we were seeing with the prime minister and the foreign minister basically out on a, a mission to re, uh, repair relationships both in the region and, and offshore, uh, as we would have seen with the Prime Minister meeting the, the French President. So certainly I think the Prime Minister was occupied more by international issues than local issues. But certainly now with the Parliament sitting, the, the, the shift in emphasis in terms of focus is now definitely going to be domestically. As to the Parliament, as you say, I mean, the Parliament last met in March and we're going into July, August, so four or five months ago. And it is a unique parliament, and and for a few reasons which I'll go I'll go through. Firstly, I personally, and I think many pundits, Paul, never thought I'd see a government and a Labor government elected on thirty four percent of the primary vote. Yeah. Um, I, I I didn't think that was possible, but but here we are with the government controlling um, seventy seven of one hundred and fifty one seats, and they would have controlled seventy eight if they hadn't have lost the seat of Fowler uh, when they uh, parachuted, obviously Christina Keneally to that seat, and that didn't uh, didn't come off. And I think that just speaks to the, the fracturing of the of the electorate in the context of fewer and fewer people voting for the, the two major parties. And we saw that with the, the rise of, of the Teal Independence and also the election of three Greens greater Brisbane area, which I have to say, Paul, if I was thought, thinking about the rise of the Greens, Queensland was not where I thought <laughs> I'd see the Greens win three seats of all states, you know, being the home of Pauline Hanson and all in a conservative state where Labor continues not to do well. The new parliament in the House itself has 16 crossbenchers. Senate has definitely shifted decidedly to the left. And I think that's a more broader point worth keeping in mind is that the new parliament, not just with the election of a Labor government, obviously the rise of the tools, but just in the Senate, there was a decided shift to the left of centre in the nation. And I, I think that's just worth noting. So what does that mean, do you think, for stakeholder groups, for people in health, pharmaceutical, medical device sector, other health stakeholders? What are the practical implications of that? The different composition, the different political colour of, yes. of the parliament, how is that going to manifest itself, do you think? I think particularly in the healthcare space, whether you know, it's pharmaceutical, uh, pharmaceutical industry or, or other stakeholders, that the, as I think we've said and might have discussed at your, uh, at, I think at the conference before the election, that just the patient voice is going to become that much more incredibly more important. I mean, certainly I think within the government and, and, and you know, with those MPs that take a strong interest in health, within the Greens, who now are the balance of power party in the, in the Senate, and in particular, Paul, as you know, you know, the Greens are no fans of the pharmaceutical industry. And in particular, and, you know, actually have a, a policy in part to ban donations from the pharmaceutical industry across the political spectrum and, and some other industries as well. 
but they are a massive believer in the public healthcare system. And you, you see that by their policies in terms of wanting to have free access to, to dental care, uh, mental health and a range of other issues. And in and of itself may not be a bad thing, but they have to be paid for in some way. So I definitely think the patient voice is going to be that much more important. The uh, clinician voice we're able to in terms of being getting a hearing with some of those key stakeholders and also with the TILS poll because of the six TILS elected in the uh, in May, two were medicos and uh, one was the CEO of two major patient advocacy groups. So I think the member for North Sydney, I think it's Kylie Tink, she was the CEO of the McGrath Foundation, for example. So there is a, a, a strong foundation there of, of MP stakeholders who have an interest in health, but I, I just think that the patient voice in particular is going to be that much more important to seeking to get outcomes. But in all honesty, too, set against the backdrop of a very challenging fiscal environment, which the Treasurer, Jim Chalmers, has said a number of times now that basically the government's will definitely be looking to deliver on their core election commitments. But new discretionary spending, I think, is going to be very, very hard to non-existent to find in terms of new policy measures, that is. Yeah, let's, we, de- we definitely need to have a conversation about that, the, 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 the implications of this focus on fiscal consolidation. I just wanted to understand from your perspective, the Senate. I know that you, over the years you've spent a lot of time mm. on the Senate so what is the path, what is the government's path to get legislation through the Senate? So, yeah, so the government's path to get legislation through the new Senate, obviously when opposed by the uh, the opposition now, so the Liberal and National Party, is basically the Greens plus one. So Labor and the Greens will provide them with 38 and you need 39 votes. So with David Pocock, the new ACT senator, and, and Till the Lines, candidate, that's 39 votes. And sort of that goes to my point about the the Parliament and the Senate has had a decided tilt to the left. So Labor, the Greens and Pocock gives you 39 votes. So on, you know, key issues like, uh, you know, climate change, federal ICAC and the like, you know, Labor is probably going to be the negotiated outcome there. On fiscal consolidation will be interesting though, because the Greens probably won't be as keen to be supporting any expenditure cuts, particularly, I think, in any sort of social welfare policy space and, and, and the like. So the government may well be having to go to the opposition, depending upon, obviously, what the measure is, in, in you know, for support. But I, I think for the government, they certainly have an easier path through this Senate than they would have, at the end of the day, if in the last parliament, Pauline Hanson and her offsider effectively had the balance of power in the last Senate. So Pauline Hanson and and Malcolm Roberts, I think, are basically a bit null and void in this parliament. Pocock, obviously incredibly influential. And also um, Jackie Lambie, who has a new offsider in Tammy Tyrrell out of Tasmania. So, you know, the government have three votes plus the Greens to work with to get legislation through. What's your advice to stakeholder groups? One of my observations over the years is that the relationship between a sector or a group of stakeholders and a government develops a cadence over time, and yes. particularly when a government's been in, you know, the last government was in office for almost 10 years, 
develops a cadence, a way of operating with particular ministers, a way of communicating and engaging. There's sometimes a bit of sticker shock, I think, because new new governments mean new personalities and new ways of doing things, yeah. And, yeah. and that can be quite difficult to to adjust to. So obviously with, with Greg Hunt, we had someone who was very active in managing yeah. stakeholders, shared his mobile number, did all those sorts of things, was happy to meet and greet. I wonder if Mark Butler will be less inclined to do that want to go through industry groups less than individual companies. But but what's your advice on engaging with this government, particularly in this first period where they're building, getting on top yeah. of their portfolios, building their offices and their yeah. their personal staff? Well, look, it's a really good question, Paul. And I think at least initially in the short term, in all honesty, stakeholders need to be patient. <laughs> I mean, the government is quite literally – still building up their ministerial offices. There's still a lot of staffing to be in place. But I think in particular, too, for the pharma sector, Paul, so be patient, but there has been a changing of the guard. Mm. I mean, I know that sounds obvious, but what might have been considered uh, normal in terms of the last parliament, normal in in terms of access to to key stakeholders, is basically um, not going to be the same in this parliament under this government. I think just because of the number of stakeholders in, in not uh, not just in health in, in pharmaceuticals but healthcare overall, at the end of the day, the minister in the, in Mark Butler is just not going to have time to meet with everybody individually. Despite those that think don't quite understand, well, why won't he meet with us? I certainly wouldn't be taking it personally, but it's just a question of logistics. So I think, in all seriousness, and as simple as it sounds, be patient. As important as you might think your issue is at this point in time, it's probably not necessarily as important to the to the minister at this point. I mean, we're seeing, no surprise, Minister Butler and, and other uh, portfolios now obviously dealing with the new COVID outbreak. Mm. But it's not business as usual. And by that, Paul, what might have been considered business as usual in the last administration is not going to be the same in this administration. One of the challenges that people have is understanding that you go from being the shadow minister where it's a bit all care and no responsibility (laughs) to the minister. And it's like a runaway train in in, in sort of getting on top of it and actually just managing the portfolio so that it doesn't manage you is actually really, really, really hard. And I think you see that across lots of, lots of different, different areas and, and portfolios. But I think it's, it is particularly difficult in health because of its complexity and the, and the number of stakeholders. Look, absolutely, and just the issues that come up, like I said, you know, COVID starting to occupy, you know, a lot of the government's time and uh, and Minister Butler. And you're right, you know, the transition from opposition to government, it's chalk and cheese. So exact time that opposition ministers had to engage with, with key stakeholders on life, obviously it was a lot more because they weren't key decision makers, whereas now as the, the ministers, they are. So, you know, there's that fundamental change in dynamic. Plus, as I say, you know, many of them are still putting together their ministerial offices and, and that uh, takes time and that is still a work in progress. And, you know, and obviously with Parliament back next week, they're all getting ready for the first or fortnight of Parliament with some pretty major issues coming up. Stakeholders, they just need to be cognizant of, cognizant of the pressures that the new government is under, the new minister is under, and to think about is when and if is the best time to maybe be approaching, in case the, the new Minister for Health, on their issue. Yeah, I mean, fiscal consolidation has been a big theme 
and the treasurer will deliver an economic statement, I think, next Thursday. And Correct. They've, yeah. got, they've gone in straight into budget uh, process for October. We're hearing that the budget operational rules are very strict around new spending, so they've been they've been very careful. And I think we saw that with the COVID changes last weekend where Thursday night Mark Butler was forced to go on to TV and defend the situation and within 48 hours was backing out of it. So it was, it was it's obviously a really challenging situation but why the economic statement next week what what do you what, what's the politics around that I, I think it's to give weight and substance to what the treasurer has been saying publicly to the community via the parliament in terms of i think setting some broad parameters i mean the treasurer has basically said look effectively it's not going to be a an economic policy statement in terms of initiatives per se because that would be in the budget but i think it's just to, to provide an honest assessment to the nation as to where things are at and the challenges that the government have inherited and face. And to be honest, Paul, I think it's about some expectation management. And we're already seeing that around, you know, these issues, say, of, of the, the Commonwealth's uh, debt uh, management and the interest payable on that, where the Treasurer has already flagged that obviously with rising global interest rates, which I thought has caught, I think, governments around the world off guard, and Australia's not immune, that the government's interest bill is rising pretty quickly. And, you know, that's not one expense the government can, A, cut back on, or B, um, decide they've got to reallocate the spending. It's a fixed cost that, that has to be paid as priority. So I think next week with the Treasurer, I think we'll just see a bit of expectation management and an honest appraisal to the Australian people as to where the uh, finances of the nation are at, and maybe some broad priority areas that the government will be will be looking to, you know, starting with obviously delivering on their election commitments, but just an honest assessment of where things are at because, you know, it's pretty uh, pretty tough out there and we know families are doing it hard, but with the government inheriting a trillion dollar debt, uh, shackles their uh, hands a lot in terms of, of what they can do. It's, it's going to be really, really interesting because if you think about, you know, our listeners are a lot of people in health, uh, pharmaceuticals, medical devices, private health sectors, they have a huge agenda for change that mm. was that was started, kicked off by the previous government. Yeah. And this new era of fiscal consolidation will have consequences for that. And I think we'll have to see over time what, what, what that looks like. But we know from p- p- previous periods of fiscal consolidation that there are all there are always consequences. So we have the change agenda and the reform agenda yes. against a backdrop of no money. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good point, Paul, because within the within the sector, you know, you, as we know, there's the, the HGA review, there's the um, House of Reps inquiry report from last year, which is going to have to be responded to by by the government and probably that's more likely by the, uh, the end of the year. There's obviously the Medicines Australia um, strategic agreement which might give the industry some degree of certainty, particularly when it you know comes around to to to, re- to reimbursement and the like. But there's not a lot of loose change floating around um, in the system for for new policy initiatives. I mean, and the treasurer said as much. He said said, look, we'll be funding our election commitments, but he said, you know, we you know we get presented with good policy ideas by stakeholders, but to be realistic, that we don't have the money to, to fund the good ideas. I think that was very uh, very telling from the treasurer. So, but in, so in terms of, there's a, certainly a lot 
in the um, in the healthcare space. And, and Paul, that's before you even get to aged care. Well, I do look forward to talking to you more during the year. But if we were having this conversation, let's say at the end of this year, what do you think we're going to be? What what what, what do you think will be some of our reflections about the, the political and the, and the policy environment? Look, that's a really, a really good point. I just think more broadly, the government will be keen to have legislated some of its key initiatives. So, you know, as aged care, climate package, federal ICAC and the like, I think if the government can get those things through by the end of the year, then they'll be uh, happy in the context of having been delivered. But I, I just think, Paul, fiscal environment and then the, uh, the budget in October, it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a pretty picture. No, I think so, it's going to be tough, isn't it? It is going to be tough, and as you know, having worked in government yourself, there's no, there's a never-ending stream of requests from stakeholders uh, to do certain things and 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 fund new policies. So it's certainly going to be hard. So I think in that context, stakeholders want to be thinking, you know, where is their request or how can their request align with the government's policy objectives in that portfolio, whether it's health or or elsewhere, given the fiscal environment, because I just sometimes people tend to forget, uh, you know, the budget situations that any any governments face, and also too, you know, given as we know, the government's committed not to change the uh, uh, any of the, the current uh, taxation revenue uh, arrangements, so they're in a bit of a tight space. But they've got an ever increasing demand for spending, as we know, which is not new. But you know, as I said, I just come back to to aged care as a, as an example. I mean. It's just a multi-billion-dollar fix, and it's certainly not something that's going to be done um, overnight. Another interesting one, Paul. We talk about spending, and uh, you know, I've, I've said this in, in conversations. I mean, when the uh, Albanese government was elected, and he had an initial meeting with the premiers, he extended the 50/50 public hospital funding arrangement to the end of the year. I mean, that's an extra 750 million dollars, and that certainly wasn't in their pre-budget. <laughs> pre-election uh, budget costing. So that's $750 million that has to be found. Interestingly too, as you yourself has written about, the government's going to reduce the uh, the pharmaceutical copay to $30, and that's a $700 million cost over the board estimates, and we still don't know how that's going to be paid for. So obviously that's one of key interest to the, um, to the sector. And, um, you know, the government's got a $750 million Medicare package, which they'll definitely uh, be funding. No shortage of challenges, and that's just in health. With all new governments that come in, from what I've been hearing, you know, there's always the undiscovered landmine, uh, <laughs> which which you don't find, and 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 to you're sitting around the cabinet table, and you know, I'm I'm hearing that there's a few of them. Maybe the treasurer next week may um uh, provide some insights into. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting statement. I don't think any government has ever had fewer requests for new spending than they expected. I think there's there's always new requests coming in. In a time, uh, you know, challenging uh, challenging domestic environment as we know with um with you know cost of living inflation, but also you know a trillion dollar debt. I mean, there's never, as you would know, a shortage of requests for spending. But I think I made the point: if the government ran ten billion dollar surpluses, it would only take a hundred years to pay off the debt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't think this debt's ever going to be paid off. Is no, really, no, no. <laughs> For any government, the key thing is to be able to roll it over, and that just means uh, in perpetuity interest-only loan. The interest expenses, I think, are going to become higher. I think I saw reported 
the budget for assistance to to families or people with disabilities. I saw reported earlier this week in the in, over the over the coming years. So that's yeah, a lot of money. Jody, it is a hell of a lot of money, and it, it's going to be a really interesting couple of weeks as the parliament resumes and. We hear the economic statement and then the government continues to work on the budget. It's going to be very interesting to get your insights in a few weeks, I think, to see how the parliament starts to settle. Thank you so much for joining us, sharing your expertise on on the parliament and the policy environment and the, and the political environment. And I look forward to speaking again soon. Thanks very much, Paul. Always, uh, always a pleasure to be with you and uh, hopefully provide some insights to your listeners. Thanks, Jody. Thanks, Paul.